Well, we made it. I'm Mike Ronkelia. I am your lead pastor here at Thurston Christian Church. Woo, yeah. And I know, I know it has been a journey for you guys. I think I was talking with Peter this morning. We were trying to add it up somewhere between 18 and 19 months. But we've made it. For me and my family, it's probably been about five years. So today is a big day. It's a, uh, it's a finish line in a sense. And it's also a starting line in a sense. We've finished this journey. We're here today as sort of the, the launch of things. And now we get to start a new race and we get to run that race together. And so I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited to be with all of you in the room. I'm excited to be with those of you online. Those of you online, I guess you're in that camera. Um, we're glad you're with us today, and we're glad that you're worshiping with us today. And we hope you feel like you are in the room with us and not just sitting in the back somewhere, but you're actually here and, and enjoying worshiping together with us today. And so I'm excited to get to share with you guys this morning. I'm excited about what God has put on my heart to share with you. And I I'm okay because this is one of those messages that's an amen message. So, I mean, if amen for you is amen, by all means, feel free. If it's, if it's this, because that's how we do a lot of times is amen is, oh, man, that was really good. I got to write that down. Feel free to do that as well. So, I'm just really looking forward to our time together. So, I've traveled a lot in the last few months, going back and forth between here, a couple of different trips. And, you know, when you travel, you pack a suitcase, right? And whenever we pack a suitcase, we always think to ourselves, oh yeah, I'm going to pack light. I'm going to pack light, right? It never, never happens. You know, and we always seem to feel like we got to jam-pack everything we can in a suitcase. Everything. We're like, okay, I need that. I mean, when we moved out here, our last flight, we took a one-way flight. I mean, that, that was a time to jam-pack the suitcase because it was like anything the movers weren't taking, we we're trying to get in. We, we, we took Southwest for their two free bags, and we took it to the limit. <laughs> so you got you to gotta pack that suitcase. And, but I think when we go to travel, we think I'll pack light, but then it's like, no, I need this, I need that, I need this. And it's almost like there's this challenge. It's like the airlines throw down this challenge that says, can you get right up to that 50-pound limit and not go over? <laughs> and we're like, oh, I accept. <laughs> I accept that challenge. And so we are going to try to get it to 49.9 pounds and go, yeah, I don't have to pay. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if you've gotten one of those little things that you hold the suitcase. I, I've, been take, I've been taking to grabbing my suitcase and stepping on the scale and going, yeah, that's 50 pounds. That's close to 50. So... So yeah, I mean, we, we, we really try to keep it from going from free to paid. So I know that many times for us when we've had this full suitcase, I've had to lay on the suitcase and, and I'll push it all down so it squishes so I can get it zipped tight. And I'm like, you know, I got, I got it closed. I'm, I can see the, the stretch marks in the zipper <laughs> and it's about to go, but it's, it's jam-packed. And so you know what it's like to have a full suitcase. Well, we're going to look at a verse today in Scripture, that I believe God jam-packed so full. It is just packed. And he got it zipped shut, but I guarantee you this suitcase that we're going to look at, it's one verse. It crossed from the, the free to the paid because it's so full. There's no way this was under 50 pounds. This verse is loaded. And so it's a verse that, that God shared through the prophet Zephaniah, 
and he's a minor prophet. And I would classify this again as God's suitcase verse that is overpacked. And it's Zephaniah 3.17. It's a well-known verse. It's what I like to call refrigerator magnet material. You know, the, the verses we put on a refrigerator magnet and stick on the fridge to encourage us. See, we don't put verses on the fridge like Jesus wept. That doesn't encourage, encourage us. We put stuff like this verse because it's loaded with encouraging words. And so here's, here's the verse, and I'm going to read it to you. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. A mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet, quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So I'm not sure how God really did get this suitcase compressed and zipped shut. It's loaded. There are five profound phrases in this verse. Each one could be a sermon in itself. So we're going to be here till about five o'clock. I hope everybody packed a lunch. <laughs> Each one of these could be a sermon in themselves, and every one of them lets us know about God and has a direct correlation to the things that we should know about ourselves. So our one big idea for today is knowing ourselves begins with knowing God. Knowing ourselves begins with knowing God. You don't have a right perspective or a right understanding of who you are if you do not know who God is first. As soon as you start to correlate anything about yourself with the void of God in your life, you will have a distorted picture. And so knowing yourself begins with knowing God. And so we're going to break this down real simply. We're going to look at each of these phrases and we're going to look at them and see what they tell us about God. And then from that, what we learn about ourselves. What we learn about ourselves. But let's get a little context for this passage before we dive in. The theme of Zephaniah is the approaching day of the Lord. The approaching day of the Lord. And this day involves judgment for those who remain in sin against God. And a blessing for those who have followed him. The earlier parts of Zephaniah include judgment and blessing that occurred in the near future. And the latter parts of chapter 3 are judgments and blessings that will occur in the distant future. So some of these actually happened and some of them will happen. Chapter 3 includes God's plans for Jerusalem, the Gentile nations, and Israel's remnant who was faithful to God. Verse 317 is a distant promise given to Israel's remnant. But see, there's something really interesting that you have to understand about the Old Testament prophets. Zephaniah, like many Old Testament writers, um, actually recorded more than they knew. <laughs> they recorded more than they knew. They wrote more information than they are, were aware that they were writing. See, God wasn't finished making things known to mankind. He continued to speak through others following Zephaniah. Other people you may have heard of, like Jesus. Have you ever heard of that guy? the apostles, the writers of the New Testament. There were so many other people after Zephaniah that God spoke through. And this thought process, this understanding is called progressive revelation. It means that there were things that he, he continued to reveal and make known through the, the time and the centuries that passed from the older Israel experience to the New Testament and on and, and continued to open up understanding to mankind. And so we today, 
We sit on, on a much further uh, track down the line of revelation, of eye-opening, of seeing how God sees things because of what we know through Scripture. And we have more understanding into what Zephaniah wrote than he did. We are privileged to have that. And so we saw what, he, what Zephaniah saw as a promise, particularly for the Jews, we see as fulfillment and realized and made available to all people through Jesus. I'm going to say that again. What, what Zephaniah saw as a promise for the Jews, we see as, a, as, a, as happening, as being realized, as being made possible and available to all people through Jesus. Now, they have to make a decision to be a part of that. They have to give themselves willingly to that. It just doesn't happen. You have to give your life to Jesus for that to be available, but it is available. Any who will come, come. That's what Jesus said. And that's what we say when we go out into the world. Any who will come, come. Jesus is inviting you. What Zephaniah shares in 3.17 is true for the remnant of Israel. It will happen in the future days, in the end times. But it is also a foreshadowed spiritual reality and experience that is true for those who have given themselves to Jesus. So this is true for Israel's remnant in the future, but it's also true for those of us who have given, them, given ourselves to Jesus. And it's true as a spiritual reality. And again, it's made available to every person who's given themselves to Jesus. So let's begin to look at each of the phrases of, of 3.17. And as we do, let's learn about God and let's learn about ourselves because of what was accomplished through Jesus Christ. And as you listen to this, I think I'm hoping that the view of what Jesus did will be raised up even higher in your eyes, even greater even higher, even more than you could imagine because there's so much here. So phrase one is, the Lord your God is in your midst. The Lord your God is in your midst. So what do we learn about God here? We learn that the Lord our God is with us. Before Jesus, God was distant. He was unapproachable. He was locked away in a temple. You couldn't reach him. You could only reach him through a mediator, through Moses, through a priest, through someone else. And it was risky business to get close to him. Because if you didn't have things just right, you ran the risk of being killed. The high priest who would go into the presence of God, they, they sewed little bells on his garment you know why they did that? Well, they also did something else. They tied a rope around his ankle. So two things. As he would go in and he would minister before the Lord, if things were not just right, the bells would stop ringing because the priest wasn't moving anymore because he was on the ground dead. And do you think anybody was going in after him? Nope. They were doing this number. The presence of God, being with God was serious business and it was a fear of death. And in Zephaniah it says, God is with you. How is that possible? How is that possible? Well, it's possible because of a personal connection that comes in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus' entrance into the world, it says, Matthew 1.23, and his name shall be Emmanuel. 
God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus himself said over and over, like in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you always. And so after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, it became possible for him to live inside of us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Bruce did a great job talking about that in the book of Acts, or from the book of Acts when he was talking about that around Pentecost time. Jesus comes to live inside of you, and these are some verses that mention this idea that that Jesus lives inside of you. Romans 8.10, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, Galatians 2.20, and Colossians 1.27, just to name a few. Feel free to snap a pic. Feel free if you're a note taker to scribble those down, and I encourage you to go look at those later. And those are about Jesus living in you. But you know what's crazy is Jesus lives in you, but it also says in Scripture that you live in him. He's in you and you are in him. And there are verses that say that, you, that, Jesus, that we are in Jesus. Those are 2 Corinthians 5.17, Romans 8.1, and 1 Corinthians 1.30. Again, I would encourage you to go look at those. You in Christ, Christ in you. It's a pretty, pretty secure place, pretty awesome place to be. So because of what Jesus accomplished, our giving ourselves to him, God is not out there somewhere. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's not somewhere distant in the cosmos. He is right here. He is literally with us every moment of every day. He can't get any closer than he already is if you're his child. Well, I mean, if you're God's child. So from knowing God is with us, what do we learn about ourselves? We learn that there is never a moment, day or night, that we are not alone. God doesn't come and go. He doesn't turn his back on you. He doesn't walk away. If you have given yourself and he has taken you, he is with you always. And you need to know that when times get difficult and hard. And you need to know it in the good times so you can celebrate the gift of what he's given. He is there in the middle of whatever you're going through right now. Right now. Whatever that may be. Whether it's happy, whether it's sad, whether it's great, whether it's messy, whether it's complicated. He is with you in it. And it, it, can be hard to, it can be hard to remember that sometimes. I, I know. We've been through a grueling process the last couple of months. It's hard to remember sometimes. Like, hey, God's right in the middle of all this. You know, one of the cool things, and maybe I'll share this more in detail later, but that Matthew 123, Emmanuel, God with, God with us, is something that God spoke to me. I, I had seen the number 123 everywhere for like months. It was absurd. It was ridiculous. I couldn't see it. I, I mean, oh look, there's mile marker 123. How much, hey Jonas, how much time's left in the football game? Oh, a minute 23. Oh, how much money is left in the checkbook? Oh, $123. It was, it was ridiculous. Two, two, three months. I mean, it was just obnoxious. And I'm reading a book and I get to this book and I start this chapter and it says, God with us. 
and I, I go down and I'm reading the first couple of sentences and then the author quotes Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Oh, I'm primed. I'm ready. Emmanuel, God with us. Taps me on the shoulder, Mike. I was with you in all of that. I was with you. I was with you when you were watching the football game. I was with you when you were driving down the road with your family. I was with you when you were doing the checkbook and frustrated with the amount of money in the account. I was with you. Well, then I tried not to see it. You know, I tried to play games with God, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to try to see that. Well, then it became 3-2-1 or 2-3-1. Or he just started messing with me. <laughs> and God's good like that. He just starts messing with you. So he's with us always. Acts 17, 28, the first part of the verse says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's the air we breathe. That's the environment we exist in. Being with us, Jesus is our source of life. He is our ability to function and he is our very existence. Jesus was serious when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot live this life apart from Jesus. It's impossible. That was phrase one. <laughs> phrase one. Phrase two. God is a mighty one who will save. What do we learn about God? That God is a mighty warrior who saves. He's a mighty warrior who saves. We learn that God is with us, but that he is not powerless. See, I mean, it would be great that he's with us, but if he has no power, what's the point? But he's with us, but he's not powerless. He is a mighty warrior, a prevailing conqueror. In Jesus, God represented his ultimate mighty act as a warrior. Through Jesus' trip to and through the cross, his resurrection and ascension, he won victory for us over sin, death, the flesh, the world, the devil, and a lot of other things. But those first set were a pretty good set, right? He gives us new life and an eternal destiny. One of the best verses, one of the best descriptions that ever describes Jesus as a mighty warrior. And I made this slide and I apologize because the text is really small. So you may just have to listen to me read it. But Ephesians 1, chapter 19 through, uh, or verse 19 through 23, it reads this way. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I know the Ducks went 81 to 7 yesterday, but they didn't even come close, people. 
If there was anybody who could do a touchdown celebration, spike the ball, call it good, it was Jesus. There's no one greater. There's nothing greater than him. Nothing that can stand against him. Everything is under his feet. So what do we learn about ourselves knowing that God is our mighty warrior who saves? We learn that Jesus fought for us and he won. He won. It's over. It doesn't mean we don't have struggles, but it's over. He won. We have been rescued. And because he is all-powerful, there is nothing that can touch us. We have truly been saved from everything. Because we are his, we share in the victory he won. 1 Corinthians 15.57, and I think I... Again, you can grab these, write them down. 1557 says, God gives us victory through Jesus. Romans 837 says, we are more than conquerors through God who is our mighty warrior. And 2 Corinthians 214 says, he leads us in triumph. And all of these are based not on us, not on our good standing, not on what we do. They're based on the fact that we are his. Through Jesus, in Jesus, he leads us. Now, I'm not saying we don't have difficulties. I'm not saying we don't have hard times. But we have someone who is fighting with us through those hard times. Who's giving us the power and the ability to stand up against the difficulty and the hardship. Who already knows the way through. Who already knows how to win that battle. And he's inviting you to invite him in. And to let him be a part. We also learn that the battles in our lives, uh, sorry, we also learn that the battles in our lives that we can, that they are not ours to fight. The battles we have in our lives are not ours to fight, but Jesus's. If we will turn them over to him. We can fight with him and by his power, things can, we could never, we could never fight before by Jesus's power, we, by, by his power we can actually fight. See, we try to fight things in our own efforts, in our own strengths, out of our own tank of gas, and we wear out and we get defeated. And Jesus is just there saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm a warrior who can fight. Invite me in. Let me be a part. Let me show you how to navigate what you're dealing with. I know how to overcome this thing. And so when we invite him in and when we face those battles and when we, he becomes a part of what we're doing, we experience the very life of Jesus saving us, not just when we get to go to heaven someday, but right now in this very moment. Salvation needs to be an ever-present reality, moment by moment, day by day, breath by breath. Breathe it in. You are a saved people. That's who you are. That was two. We still have three more to go. Phrase three, he will rejoice over you with gladness. What do we learn about God? 
we learn that God takes great delight in us. And this one's hard for me sometimes. I think I've grown up in too much church. God's a sourpuss, isn't he? I mean, that's how it seems to be presented a lot of time. He's grouchy, he's got his arms crossed. Oh man, you blew it, Mike. Like seriously, like I'm out. I'm done. Far too often, I think that's how we view God. And this says he delights in us. Did you know that God thinks about you? And that he has feelings about you? And that he's not just delighted with you, but he's greatly delighted with you? I just didn't hear that a lot growing up in the church. I heard how disappointed he was how I didn't measure up, how I wasn't enough. Well, of course I'm not enough. That's why I need Jesus. Hello? And it's because of Jesus that we are washed, we are clean, we are acceptable, we are made new, and we are being transformed. And there are no qualifiers in this verse on, its, on his delight. No qualifiers. It's not like I delight in you when or if. It's just that he takes great delight. He doesn't delight because you're so lovable. He doesn't delight because you have it all together. Nope. He delights just because he wants to and just because he can. He delights in you. And so what does being a great delight of God or to God teach us about ourselves? We learn that because of what Jesus did, there's nothing between us and that God has no reason for him to, God has no reason to reject us. Was what Jesus did enough? Or do we have to add something to that? Because that sounds like a Jesus plus gospel to me. Either Jesus did enough or it wasn't enough. And I think he did enough. Amen. I agree. We learn that although we may never, oh, sorry, we learn that although we may never have been noticed by anyone else or told that we were worth anything or haven't been told we were loved in a while or that we were special or important, that the God of the universe who knows everything about you, who knows, better, who knows you better than you know yourself, and that's a whole other sermon right there. God knows you better than you know yourself. I used to think so much, I know the book on myself better than God does, and God's like, oh, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that one. He knows you better than you know yourself, and you know what? He finds no fault with you. He doesn't just put up with you. He takes great delight in you. And why does he find no fault? Because he finds no fault with his son. And if you've given yourself to his son, then you have what's needed for him to not go, oh, if you don't have the son, then you're living on a, on a says a right or wrong, a performance base. And now you're trying to prove yourself to God. And that's a scary place to be. But if you've got Jesus, you just go, I'm with him. I'm with that guy. And he goes, then I'm good with that. 
So he doesn't just put up with us. He takes great delight, great delight in us. We also know that God makes no junk, right? I mean, God looked back when he created this whole thing and he said, it looks, looks good to me. Very good. And so if God makes no junk, then he makes no junk, then, then he can take delight in you because you're not junk. And so we may think, though, we may think, well, God has to love me because it's his duty. He's God. But the fact is, is that he delights in you. And he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He likes the one he made. He's happy with you. He looks at you and says, very good. He wanted one just like each of us. And he's happy with what he got. And again, we need to hear this, people. We need to hear this. We don't hear it enough. Again, I get that there's issues with sin and things that we have to address and deal with in our lives. But it's a whole lot different dealing with them from a place that says, I'm okay with God, now let's work on these problems. Rather than, I gotta work on these problems so I can be okay with God. You hear the difference? This is not a fun place. And there's really not a lot of hope here. It's scary. But over here, he loves me, he's good with me, he's delighted to me, now we can work on things together. He's got his arm around me, and we're taking a step forward together. Okay, three down, two more to go. Phrase four, he will quiet you by his love. He will quiet you by his love. What do we learn about God? That he will quiet and renew us with his love. No longer rebuking us or mentioning our past sins. He chooses to forget. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I, I choose not to remember. We learn that God is motivated by his love. And although this is an emotion, it's much more than that. God's love is the highest form of love. It is deep. It is profound. It is not selfish, and it is sacrificial. It is a love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstances. And it is a love that has God as the source. The never-ending well I mean, if his love was limited, we'd all be gone. He wouldn't, he wouldn't put up with it. But he sees a bigger picture and a longer-term view. And so it's because of his pure love that he no longer expresses sharp disapproval or criticism of us because of our behavior or actions. This is because through Jesus, he did everything that needed to be done to address our poor behaviors and actions. And through his spirit, he now empowers us to now live and be different. Did you catch that? 
He dealt with the issue of the bad behavior, the poor, the wrongdoing, and now he's given you a gift and his spirit residing within you and the life of Jesus to now live and be something different. It isn't just about a trip to heaven. It's about living in this world and in this day. And don't you need empowerment when you step out into that world? When you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, I experienced a little bit yesterday. Some of you know, went to Costco on a Saturday. I was out of my mind. <laughs> I didn't know carts could get that close. <laughs> we can live differently. God is not holding a grudge. He's not waiting for us to mess up just to go, oh, there it is, blast ya. Got him. Nope. He'd rather quiet you with his love and begin to renew you. To transform you. It says in Romans 8, 28, 8, 29 that he wants to bring you, to conform you, to make you in the image of Jesus so that you have a family resemblance, so that you will be brothers and sisters of Jesus, the firstborn among many. That is his intention, that is his aim, that is his heart. He would love to quiet you and renew you with his love. So what do we learn about ourselves from his love, from his quieting, from his renewing, from his non-rebuke of us? What do we learn? We are lovable and acceptable to the one that matters most. If nobody else loves you, if nobody else accepts you, if nobody else cares about you, guess what? The one who matters does. He knows. He knows all the stuff. And he goes, I love you. Let's work on that. Because of Jesus, we no longer have to perform to be accepted. We are accepted. We measure up. And now we can be who God intended us to be. We can be who God intended us to be. We are secure. We can stop striving and rest. I think I said this in one of my communions the last couple of weeks. You know what? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Works, effort, performance, striving? I will give you rest. That word literally is vacationed. We got a few days at the coast and it was vacation and it was rest and it was like, oh, listen to the waves, right? That's what Jesus says. Come to me and I will give you rest. There's no longer a need to earn his love. We don't have to do anything to make him, we, we can't do anything to make him love us any less. He already knows all the stuff. You can't do something and he's like, oh, I never saw that coming. That, that was way out of left field. Mike, nice job on that one. Nope, he knew. He knew. He had to know because Jesus had to deal with it. And Jesus dealt with it. And we can now, because of that, we can now learn to be calmed by and content in the love he has for us. Four down. We made it to phrase five. I wasn't kidding. We're going to be here till five o'clock. 
I want to read the whole thing because it's in two parts. I'm going to read the previous phrase. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What do we learn about God? That he rejoices over us with singing. I'm a music guy, and this one still gets a little uncomfortable for me. Seeing God up there going, Mac, I, I, got, a, I got a song. I'm going to sing it. I've heard stories of people who, you know, I felt God singing this song over me, but I, it was hard because it was a secular song. Hey, God can choose to speak however he wants to speak. I think the song was, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know just how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Thank you. I should have had some drums. <laughs> yes, I can sing. What song is he singing over you? So we learn about God. He feels and shows great joy and delight over you. He does it with song. He does it in singing, loud singing, singing in front of the angels. And that word, that word about singing there in the Hebrew, it's a ringing cry. It's a joyful shout. And this joy is because of what he's done to make us right in Jesus. He, celebrate, he celebrates because no longer do I have to be separated from you. I mean, do you know, I, this, is, this is my the way my mind works, and this is, this, is, this is opinion, this is my thought process, this isn't biblical, this isn't theology, but when Jesus died on the cross, you remember the curtain was rent from top to bottom? I just picture God going, finally, get me out of here. Get me into my people. I'm tired of being separated. I want to be with my peeps. I want to be close, not locked up. Let me out. So he celebrates that he doesn't have to be separated from us any longer. What does God's joy and singing over us teach us about ourselves? We don't disappoint God, but bring pleasure to him. You don't sing about something that doesn't bring pleasure to your heart. We make him happy. He is satisfied with us. And we are free to be who he's made us to be. It also says that we have his attention and not for wrongdoing. Far too often it's like God's got his eye on you. He's watching. And again, I'm not negating all of that. That stuff can be worked through. But far too often that's God's like just, I'm watching you. I mean, in some of this, again, some of this is our parents, right? Like Mike. Like I, you always know you're in trouble when the middle name's included, Right? And far too often we think that, that the only time we hear from God was when we're out of line. And it's like no news is good news. But see, we have his attention because we're special to him. Every day with him is the red special plate. 
I know Julie has one because I had one growing up and I was like, oh, I think there's a cup too. The you are special plate, it's a red plate and you get it on your special day. Every day with God, he's giving you the plate and saying, you are special to me. You are my special possession. You know, if you go through the Old Testament and you read about Israel, he says, you will live and act this way because you are my special possession. Not live and act so you can be my special possession, but live and act because you are. And that is fully realized spiritually. You are to live this way because you are my special possession. We also learn that we have value and worth to God. So much so that he would write a song and sing it over us. And that song would be about us. He's written a song about each and every one of you. I mean, it's one of those, you know, you, you turn on the late night infomercials and they have, hey, we've got this collection of love songs. <laughs> Only no, three sets of 1995 and you can get all of them. God has a collection of love songs for each and every one of us. So because of what Jesus did, if you've given yourself to him, everything in this verse is true about you. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care how you think about it. That's the part that has to get worked through because emotions get damaged. Thinking gets messed up. But everything in this verse is true about you because God says it's true, not because you've made it happen. And so that's really where growth needs to occur. That's really transformation, is learning to bring in line our thinking and our feeling and our choosing with what's true of us because God said it, not because we've done it. So you are no longer blind, lost, stained, or a fatherless orphan. You are not blind, lost, stained, or a fatherless orphan. So I want to prepare you. I want to prepare you for your trip into the rest of today and into the week ahead. And I want to do it by helping you get this overstuffed suitcase zipped up and ready to take out and put in your car as you drive away from here. And I want to do it by reading this verse over you one more time and then praying. And one thing I will encourage you, and this will be something you'll see as we spend these next, however long God has for us to be together, and I'm hoping it's a long time, God willing. Take a posture that is meaningful to you for receiving. That may be this, that may be a head bowed, that may be a hand raised, that may be just sitting quietly looking forward. Take a position that is meaningful to you, meaningful to, you to receive as I read this verse over you. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing.
Father, what an amazing verse. What an amazing set of truth. Thank you for the fact that this will be true for Israel's remnant in the future. But also thank you that it is made available and possible to us spiritually today as we sit in this room. Father, that who we are has been so transformed in our giving of ourselves to Jesus that we, are, that, that we would be aware of that, that this morning the, the curtain was pulled back just a little bit about what you've done to make us new. And Father, despite our faults and our failings and our hardships and our difficulties and all the things that we have to address, that what is here is really what you're working us toward. May we be sensitive to your Spirit's move and work in our life this week, that you would show us each of these phrases, make them real for each of these individuals in this room in one way or another, whether it be a song that comes on the radio, whether it be a word spoken by someone else, whether it be you fighting on behalf of somebody in a situation that there's no winning hope, you still win for them. And Father, if it's a hard time that just won't end, that they will know that you are carrying them through, loving them, calming them, walking that process with them, and giving them the power and the endurance to do so. We trust this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.